This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the Bama Online Podcast. Once again, a edition of the T-Watts and TR Podcast here on the Bama Online Podcast. It is Wednesday, March the 10th, 2021, and some big stuff on the horizon for University of Alabama Athletics. Joining me to get into all of that today, of course, site publisher Tim Watts, who is coming off a late night of high school baseball, as I understand it tim meanwhile the alabama baseball team on tuesday night with a thrilling walk-off win over south alabama tim there was a uh, baseball galore i guess on tuesday night yeah there was last night we had the the old dreaded if you're on varsity the jv game is first <laughs> you always get free baseball it was one to one into four ended up 11 9 15 pitching changes it was like game seven of the world series so I think we started an hour and a half late, played a pretty dandy. K, my son, struck out the side in the night to preserve the win three to two. Nice. So, uh, nice uh, late night. So it's baseball and the weather's not bad, so I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Now, do you have a setup, you know, for watching these games at the games? Because I know, I know high school baseball parks and stadiums have come a long way, but my recollection mostly is those hard ass cold at times metal bleachers you got the chair do you got the tent well i mean what what's the setup for team watts i've got a stand i don't really get in the crowd i like to hoot and holler a little bit (laughs) i got my running mate ron puckett who's been my best friend baseball friend we we're uh thick as thieves at these games our sons have always played together we're on down the left field line my wife Mm -hmm. got and the women uh her friends have this portable chair that you carry like a backpack and it's like Mm -hmm a cushioned seat now. So they, they have it going on, but yeah, it's still the metal seats and Thompson's kind of small. So the fans are stuck together. The clear coach got thrown out last night. One fan got thrown out last night. Nice. Nice. Every ball, the umpire called against clear was a bad call. Every, (laughs) it could triple Lundy skip up there. And they were like, what are you looking at? So (laughs) that was, uh, Oh, and we wonder why we're running low on officials in every sport at the youth and high school levels, right? I mean, this, um, coach, this coach wasn't leaving until they threatened to get the police, it looked like. Wow. Said, yeah, it was uh, – he's arguing a pass ball at the plate that tied the game where, you know – and you All know right. about it is when you're at those games, when your coaches do that, they set the t- tendency for the fans because the fans just assume they're cheap if the coach says it. So Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, I was I was I was out of the way parent myself, Tim, back in the kids uh, playing days. I, I had to get on kind of the far wall of the gym 
you know, or if it was softball or baseball, I was like you, I was out in left field. Usually, um, I, I, I wasn't particularly social, sadly, I guess in some ways I was there to watch the ball game and, and that was pretty much it. But, um, speaking of ball games, we got some Alabama men's basketball in the sec tournament coming up, Tim, uh, the winner of Kentucky and Mississippi state, uh, on Thursday in the eight, nine game, we'll take on Alabama, uh, in the quarterfinals coming up on Friday morning, one of those early starts, Tim. They haven't been good to this Alabama men's basketball team, uh, but a, a nice finish to the regular season over in Athens, getting that win by 10 over the dogs. You know, I, I've loved this season. You know, I feel the same way I did about the football season, and I know I'm glad to see him here in the turn. I'm glad to see him in games that matter, you know, going into an SEC tournament game. It's been a while since Alabama's like, it doesn't even matter if we lose in the first round. There's a lot of being loose that goes with that and being relaxed. There's no pressure, you know. So that's been a while since Alabama. I think the last big SEC important win was that Colin Sexton's running layup to beat Mississippi hit State. That, hit that runner Texas A&M, I think, in St. Louis in that SEC tournament. Now, that was to get in. That was to get in. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. We had to watch Colin Sexton go – Length of the floor, Danny Ainge style, 4.4 shot. They hit a running, underhanded, almost George Gervin finger roll to get in. So that was a good moment. That was a lot of stress. So going into this one, not as much stress. A good basketball team. I think they're doing, they're looking to look, they won some tough games these last five games. You know, it wasn't pretty, but they won some tough games. So still looking to see, you know, a guy like John Petty step up, step up and leave, lead them. Um, but, man, the accolades this week, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, two guys on first team, All-SEC, the Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year was Herb, uh, Primo's on the All-Freshman team, Shackelford's on the second team. Just a lot of lot of uh, a good week for Alabama, celebrating a yeah. lot, winning the SEC championship. I saw people talking about Petway's, you know, ruby red shoes he wore from the last one, so – a uh, lot of nostalgia, a lot of lot of good basketball moments this year. Yeah, they had a six-man award. I think Javon Quinterly would be certainly up for that as well. He's been yeah. tremendous yeah. in terms of scoring off the bench, giving him a big lift, and did it again. Did it again with 18 second-half points, uh, all of his points against Georgia there in the final 20 minutes in Athens on Saturday. So with all that, you know how it is when you go into postseason play and uh, every game is for is for your tournament life. Now, SEC tournament, you know, it's one and out, but it's not one and over. Whereas in the big dance, that's absolutely the case. So I'm going to ask you, Tim, you get into these in game situations, especially, and you got to have your 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 top five on the floor for that situation. I think Petty, Herb, Shackelford. Uh, at this point, would be Givens, those three guys. Who would be your other two? Or maybe you would have a different three to go along with Herb and Petty. No, that would probably be my three. I mean, it's hard. You know, like, you know, for me, when I look at this team, I, I like a guy like Quinterly to finish the game, you know, get to the rim. thing about uh-huh. Herb, you know, Herb is Herb, Herb challenges big men like I've never seen. The guy has no – I mean, like, you know, a lot of guys are shy about getting their shot blocked. Herb's been blocked 50 times this year. He goes straight to the chest, goes straight up. So, no, I'd agree with your guys. 
Yeah, her basically says, look, I'm 6'6 six, ish and I like to get downhill and I'm either going to go left or I'm going to Euro back to the right. And if you want to try to step in either way and take a charge, good for you. But that's what's <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. And as you know, there are some guys that are willing to do that. And then there are other guys who make some business decisions and aren't as willing to step in front of a, a big dude like uh, uh, her. But uh, he's been outstanding throughout the season. And, yeah, I think Shackelford, Herb, Petty, you said it with Quinterly late game. And he was really good in that role against Georgia. Hit some big free throws down the stretch on Saturday. I could maybe see going offense for defense with Quinterly and Keon Ellis. And I like Jordan Bruner on the floor, too. You know, assuming he's good enough uh, health-wise to be there. Um, you know, I like that veteran presence. Gives you some more size. Uh, can also pop out and hit the three at a big in a big spot if you need him to do that. But... Uh, you know, with what Quinterly's done and with these slow starts that Alabama continues to get off to, it seems like if you're Nate Oates at this point, do you consider Quinterly going back into the starting lineup, Tim, or you, you just don't mess with that right now? I don't, I think you see how the SEC tournament plays out. You know, I think you mm-hmm. still experiment and stick with what you've got. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, cause of the guy, but I mean, there is a lot to say. I mean, a lot of times when you see a team lose, including Alabama, when you look, a lot of times it's been the bench scoring that separates a lot of these teams. Um, so with Quinterly, you know you're going to get double-digit points coming off the bench. So I think there's something there mentally to have him coming off the bench. But, I mean, I mean the guy's good. I mean, he would start for almost every other team in the SEC, you know. So, um, you, know, you know, some guys are more comfortable coming off the bench. So I think, you know, I trust Nate Oates knows what he's doing. I know you do too. I think he'll – He'll experiment, and he's got a little time to, to figure it out. we still got a few weeks. Bruner's still getting better, which is good, you know. Um, and you're still hoping that, you know, when NCAA tournament time comes, that, that they're ready. Speaking of ready, I think Alabama fans are ready for another five-star commitment. I mean, Tim, it's been all of, what, a week now since mm-hmm. Ty Simpson committed to the Alabama Crimson Tide. And we know that Emmanuel Henderson, a five-star running back from – Hartford, Alabama, Geneva County High School down there in the southern part of the state, very southern part of the state, is on the clock for this weekend. Uh, You went on the roundtable on Tuesday and made a prediction and a few nuggets in there in relation to Emmanuel Henderson. So let's preview that announcement a little bit here. Uh, You seem pretty confident at this point that Alabama's in really good shape with this talented back. Yeah, I do. The prediction was for Alabama, obviously. I'm going to do a prediction probably usually a little bit earlier, do a crystal ball later, closer to the moment. Um, don't have to worry about as you know many people being upset. We're running a moment or can wait for last-minute changes. But, yeah, with Emmanuel, I think that, you know, talking to people, I think Alabama was in there early. And, really, I think this is the kind of kid that wants to stay close to home. Georgia's put the full-court press on him. So they were involved. Clemson's been heavily involved with them as well. So I think this kid early on talking to him, I felt like it would be an Alabama-Auburn battle. I just, you know, you talk to some in-state kids and you just know they're more than likely to stay in the state. Um, And with everything that's went on with Auburn, I I just think they were too far behind the eight ball. Alabama, of course, does have room. You know, they do need a running back. That's a good place for a 
running backs, um, you know, by committee. So I can see why he likes there. And again, you know, Charles Kelly, you know, we this is a guy that does a terrific job of building relationships. You know, we don't say his name as much as we should. That's probably as much my fault as anybody. But Kelly, you know, it's probably because he doesn't have as many guys. We don't hear 50 guys associated with Charles Kelly. But the one we do, they really like him. And, you know, you can go back last year to Terry Arnold, who Alabama landed. Uh, Jordan Hancock, who's a kid who ended up at committed to Clemson and ended up at Ohio State. Twice he told me he loved Charles Kelly. Charles Kelly was the coach that uh, he actually mentioned out of the blue. So, um, obviously, Charles Kelly does a good job building relationships. Has this, in your opinion, been a recruitment to this point at least that Alabama has held the upper hand with Emmanuel Henderson, or has there been some back and forth? No, I think early on, like, you know, maybe it was the Alabama-Auburn confusion. Georgia's got in here lately, but with everything that went on with Auburn, I think Alabama took command of the of the of the recruitment. Georgia, uh, again, Georgia is a formidable opponent, and they've been on it pretty hard too. So they're in there. Clemson's in there. A few others. FSU have tried, but I feel like you know Alabama's chances increased with with Auburn going through so much coaching changes, and they went through a lot, and they're just now really getting solidified. So I imagine all these schools will keep recruiting him, but relationship wise. I feel like Alabama did the best job, regardless of where he goes. I feel like Charles Kelly, Nick Saban, and those guys did the best job of building a continuous relationship with him. Seems like since last year, the 2021 cycle, uh, these scheduled weekend commitments have gone really well for the Crimson Tide, Tim. It seemed like in 2021, we were doing breaking news podcast for commitments just about every weekend for about three months at least it seemed that way it wasn't but it seemed that way anyway yeah you know i think it's just because the kids have busy weeks you know for for us Mm -hmm. and the media we're not used to it because usually you know we're looking we're looking um you know we're looking more like the kids that tweet their announcement more earlier in the week just for uh the algorithm even the kids know even my kids know when the best time to make a post is to get the most views so I think the end of the week stuff just comes because they, uh, you know, they've had a busy week, slows down at the weekend. They have the weekend to celebrate and do that. But there's been a ton. I mean, there's like five weekends in a row last year on a Friday that Alabama got a commitment. And then we had uh, board members. It's still quite the running joke who are pretty angry because we don't get one every Friday. So uh, (laughs) it's uh, yeah. So but Ty Simpson went on Friday and Emmanuel's deciding this Saturday. So yeah. I guess times have just changed. Kids want to do it on the weekend. I don't blame him. If I was thinking about nothing else, I'd want to do it on a Friday at school where everybody could see it, all my friends, and then I'd want the weekend to celebrate it. So sort of falling along those lines, I think. Regardless, we'll have you covered with Emmanuel Henderson this weekend, Saturday to be specific, as he prepares to announce his college choice and, of course, BamaOnline.com will have you completely covered from wall to wall. Tim, Hank South, they all do such a great job for us there at BOL. We look forward to it uh, coming up this weekend. We're going to take a quick break here on the Bama Online Podcast, T-Watts and TR edition of the pod. When we come back, we'll stick to the recruiting theme. We're going to jump into our, uh, what was that, a DeLorean, that the, the wacky uh, professor? and Absolutely. Yeah. And Back to the Future? Yeah, well, we got a DeLorean 
that uh, we have now for the website. So we'll jump into that and we'll revisit that 2010 recruiting class for Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide when the Bama Online Podcast with T. Watts and T.R. returns right after this. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast, T. Watts and T.R. to be exact on this Wednesday, March the 10th, 2021. We just previewed Emmanuel Henderson, the five-star running back, number two ranked running back for the class of 2022, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings. Now we're going to go back. We're going to go back a good bit here, Tim, and we're going to revisit that 2010 recruiting class for Nick Saban and Alabama, a class that in retrospect ranked fourth nationally. And I think this one was really kind of the year before the onslaught of number one classes really started to crank up, to be sure, not a bad class at all. It was a two-quarterback class, Tim, as it worked out. I think people forget about that. And both of these guys with the last name of Sims, no relation, but I believe Philip Sims was the first, first five-star quarterback commitment of, of Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama. And then you had this other guy, this other guy from Gainesville, Georgia, by the name of Blake Sims. And uh, interesting to, to look back now in retrospect how their, how their time uh, respectively turned out at the capstone. Yeah, you know, when you saw this class, I mean, you saw they wanted, yeah, definitely was going to go two quarterbacks. Uh, the whole time they were expected to. We didn't expect them to get one uh, basically the same names, which was hard to keep up with because, you know, so in sports you're so used to saying Ryder Watch, use that last name, so there was confusion. But the, the highlight of this class was the two in-state guys with D, C.J. Mosley, both. You know, C.J. should have been a five-star as well, and there was some discussion about that at one point. Um, but those two guys came in. I, you know, I think people, you know, you forget over time how great of an athlete D. Miller really was. I drove out. We didn't have him ranked. We had no film. We had no photos. I go out to Stanhope Elmore, and um, he's scoring like every way. I mean, he is, he's returning punts. He's returning kickoffs. He's on defense. He's on offense. Middle of the third quarter, he walks by, and I had never met him, and he says, do I need to do anything else? And I was like, no, we're <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm packing up. I've seen enough. I don't even need to see the fourth quarter. I think he scored four or five touchdowns. That way he had some big tackles. Just a tremendous athlete, you know, and obviously a guy that had a good career at Alabama, went top ten in the draft, um, had some injuries that, that set him back, obviously, but big-time player. And then C.J. Mosley, I mean, there's, there's a, about as ultimate as a pro as you'll get. He was that way in high school. He was that way in – in uh, college, had an, an, you know another All American, another great you know another great career, um, but those two guys stand out to me. Yeah, it was uh, it was D Milner definitely at the top of that list in 2010, and a guy who was you remember he was thrown directly into the fire. You had some heavy turnover from the 2009 national championship team at corner, uh, Kareem Jackson. That was a little bit of a surprise at the time that he went out. Uh, so he departed, uh, you know, hobby, uh, was, was out of eligibility. I believe the same was true for Marquise Johnson. So you had really total turnover at the corner position. You did have Drake Kirkpatrick going into his second season. He jumped right in there as a starter and then D got thrust into that position as well. So you also added a junior college, uh, corner by the name of Daquan Menzi, who, as I recall, sustained a Achilles tear 
in the lead up to his arrival to Alabama, I believe it was, uh, but made for the time at least. I mean, we're still talking about 10, 11 years ago. And hearing that Daquan Menzi coming from Copia Lincoln Community College over in Mississippi had an had an Achilles tear, I'm thinking, well, he's not going to be in the mix in 2010. He did a hell of a job to get back in some form or fashion to at least try to contribute. But it was a uh, it 2010 was a season of learning, I guess we could say, in that secondary because you did have so much turnover. I think ultimately though, D was far better for that. Kind of like some of the linebackers and defensive linemen for Alabama a couple seasons ago when you had turnover and you had injuries in the front seven, baptism by fires uh, in multiple spots up there two seasons ago. That was kind of 2010 for D. Uh, But yeah, by the third year, 2012, he was a really, really, really good player at corner and at the star position uh, and and was able to, to make those things work for him. And Phillip Sims, you know, comes in as a five-star quarterback and that was a highly anticipated quarterback battle in 2011. Remember that one? AJ McCarron, Phillip Sims. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think with this, you know, AJ having that extra year was big. Um, so, you know, Sims had a lot of tools. I think Sims would be a little bit, um, have a little bit better chance of success now than back in 2010. Cause now, Coaches have really figured out what to do with guys who are at wasn't as polished quarterback wise as athletes. Phillip was big. He could run. He had a big arm. Um, if I recall right, everybody in the country, you know, pretty much uh, was after him. And uh, you're right. Alabama fans really celebrated landing him. He was a guy who could spin it. No doubt. You know, just watching him and in individual drills and. Uh, the spring games and things like that. And went into that 2011 season and Nick kept that competition going as you might expect and went into the season opener uh, in 2011 with both McCarron and Sims playing. Uh, but when they went to Penn state, I believe it was week two. That was pretty much the start of AJ McCarron being the guy uh, moving forward for three full seasons. And Sims ultimately moved on to the University of Virginia. I think he also bounced to an FCS beyond that. But C.J. Mosley, a really interesting guy because, whereas I agree with you in retrospect, he was a five-star if there ever was one. He didn't physically, um, in terms of measurables, blow you away coming out of high school. I mean, he was big enough in all those things. Um, but he was perfect for when the game was really starting to change and become so much more about the passing game. I saw CJ Mosley in one of his first practices or so with those linebackers. He was out there with Dante and uh, Nico and you know those guys and thinking, nah, he's going to need some time because he's just not there in terms of bulk. But that dude from the outset, Tim, could cover. And so he jumped right in there in the nickel and dime packages as a true freshman, had an interception return, against Florida here in Tuscaloosa for a for a touchdown as a true freshman. It didn't take long for CJ to be a big factor. No, we had him, you know, 24-7, not the composite, but us ourselves, we had him 37th in the country. So he was very close to that five-star, was disgusted. I pushed for it. Um, there wasn't a lot of pushback, but there was enough just to keep him slightly outside of there. When you look at CJ, you know, you saw him as a sophomore. He's sort of a skinny. He looked skinny. He wasn't actually skinny. But his frame gave you the illusion that he was long and lean. And, you know, I think some people had questions about that. But, I mean, yeah, you, you grew into it. I mean, the guy um, 
was terrific, could do everything. You know, and the thing, it wasn't just him on the field. It was off the field, football, you know, blue. You know, a lot of times we associate blue-collar and lunch pail guys with the three stars. Well, this CJ was as much a lunch pail and blue-collar guy as you'll find. He was just extremely gifted, and he was smart. He was a film guy. Coaches raved about him. High school coaches, the opponents, high school coaches raved about him. Then you get to college, and everybody that, that crossed his path loved him. And obviously, he's done really well in the National Football League, too. Absolutely. And I think the fact that C.J. needed some time to fill out helped Alabama because it kept him on campus for four years, you know, before he moved on to the National Football League as a first-round pick. We see these linebackers like him often fall projected in the first round. They often fall right outside the first round, either very late in the first round or right outside at the start of the second round. I think CJ went somewhere close in the middle of the of the of the NFL draft that year. You know? Yeah, he, he did. He went he did. yes, 17th overall to the Ravens. That's a high pick for a for a backer. And you know, this guy looking at his career, I mean, you look at that uh four time Pro Bowl, you know, Super Bowl champion, SEC champion, consensus on two years. I mean, his stats are gaudy. And uh, even yeah. in the fail you look at a guy with 10 interceptions six force fumbles you know 37 pass deflections that tells you just how versatile of a guy he is and still going strong i mean he's still going strong in the nfl opted out for the 2020 season like a lot of guys did in the nfl but uh hope to see cj back in action in 2021 he had had some injury issues too so i don't think that was necessarily a bad thing for him at all to get fully healthy and and ready to go for the for the back half of his career, I'm sure he's looking for that third contract. That second contract's nice, Tim, and he hit it big on his. But that third one, if you can get to it, you know, and get another bite of the apple, that's never a bad thing. Very interesting dude from the 2010 class, Alfie Hill, the defensive end from Chalette, North Carolina. Very talented guy, six four. 245 pounds, looked like he was going to be a real factor on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama as a four-star recruit, Uh, gets flagged, got flagged by the clearinghouse. You remember this, I'm sure. And uh, What's that? Wasn't he in Tuscaloosa when he got flagged? Yes, he he was, yeah, he was, he had been there, he had been here a month, I want to say, and then he was flagged, and then he, I believe, went back towards home at ECU, then he was going to go to a junior college and then maybe go back to Alabama, but that's pretty much where it ended for Alfie Hill, Tim. I know at one time he was somewhere in L.A. at a junior college, I want to say. Yeah. Are expected to be, but yeah, we sort of just, Alfie just was on campus and that he was gone and we we never saw him again. And again, a talented guy. And, you know, just never got his academics where he needed to be. And, uh, you know, very unfortunate situation because, again, this was a this was a talented guy. He's a big guy, could uh, come off the edge. He was strong. He was physical. He was mature physically. So, yeah, tough loss there. Only two five stars in that 2010 class for Alabama. You say only these days because, you know, Alabama's rolling up seven or so, it seems like. Uh, well, you know, the thing, days. About, well, the thing about it is back then it was, holy shit, we got two five stars. Exactly. It's, man, we only got two five stars. <laughs> the perspective for me, the long haul, 
has been amazing to watch. I still remember the the how the how when Andre Smith committed to Alabama, how insane it was to where we are now with six, and I can't believe we're not getting a seventh. So it's uh, forget about forget about even Andre. I remember when Justin Woodall committed to Alabama, and I thought there was going to be a damn ticker love, tape parade absolutely. on Greensboro and University downtown. Yeah, so, Bama yeah, privilege. It's changed so much, but I love it. But that is exactly where we went from home. <laughs> At the time, it was two stars streaking the quad. Everybody's doing it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of fours in this class. Yeah, we got two John Fulton, C.J. Mosley. Yeah, there's Fulton, Mosley, Alfie Hill. Mosley's the one that stood out the most that should have been a five-star. And again, mm-hmm. we, we discussed it heavily. And he probably didn't really, you know, again, developing a little slower, he probably wasn't a guy that we, we saw enough of till the end. I saw him because I was watching him. He's an Alabama guy. I love his film. I know there's people down there. I love to watch him, so I've been watching him as much as I could anyway. So, Adrian Hubbard, an outside linebacker from Norcross, Georgia. A couple of states here that have been good to Alabama throughout the Saban era. Georgia with Adrian Hubbard, long, rangy. Sort of the old school defensive end, edge defender, uh, DeAndre White, wide receiver. Talk about North Shore High School, right? Houston, Texas. Alabama's had some success there. Yeah, Bo Davis was a guy that was crude. Now, you know, in Georgia, a lot of it was Kirby, you know, who had, you know, obviously had connections there. It was obviously uh, Jeremy Pruitt and some of those other guys would reach in there and recruit some of those areas. But they battled hard and got some, you know, got some big name guys. DeAndre Wright, DeAndre White, I feel like was, I think he's a Bo Davis kid, but he was one of those guys. He was a speedster. North Shore's got crazy talent. I mean, they've got, you know, even the kids, you'll see kids that have, a, you know, offers that don't have nearly the stats to match up because physically they're so good. But DeAndre was a big one. He was that speed threat. And you see a lot of this class. As we're going through it, it's sort of it's not it's not as refined as what we're used to now, where we're seeing guys, you know, randomly in Maryland, randomly in Texas. But, you know, it seems random. But Nick Saban usually has a plan where he slowly, you know, he's sort of like the yardvark. They say he's taking over the world, the U.S. He'll go into Texas and, you know, sort of spread himself out there. He'll go to Louisiana and it sort of just spreads out there. And you can see that on down the road that some of those seeds he planted has grown because Alabama has had really tremendous sex, uh, sex. That's a, a success. <laughs> That's quite the Freudian slip. But he's had a lot of success in Texas, and Alabama signed two kids in North Shore in the last two classes. So speed, speed yeah. initially with DeAndre White and size and bulk in his yeah, last couple of classes. Roberts yeah. and Dave George. Those are two of the most massive men in both classes. Three thirty so. plus. Yeah, that that sort of plant. So that's one of the things Nick Saban does. Also, the De, DeAndre was a legitimate speed guy, could run, um, and he, you know, he had a few big plays in his career. You go back to South Alabama, Jarek Williams, defensive back, safety from Blunt High School down there in the Mobile area. A guy that uh, was sort of a hybrid, as I recall, at Alabama. He'd play some safety. He'd also drop down and play some star. Could play some money, uh, some dime back there when they went with six defensive backs. Uh, Jarek had a solid career at Alabama. Oh, absolutely he did. You know, it was a big guy. 
again, Mobile, you're seeing him sort of plant his feet firmly in Mobile, keeping those guys from going there. Um, sort of just that, you know, he's sort of that glue guy. You know, a lot of these teams, Alabama's best teams were built around really great players and then solid players who would go on to middle rounds of the draft and then players that were just really good um, as far as team and selling in. And I think Jarrett falls in that mode. And, you know, going back to DeAndre White, What's crazy about DeAndre is he's still in the National Football League. Yeah. You know, he's the guy that got in there. That's how fast he was. They're like, we don't even care about the stats. But he's been in the league for six, seven years. So, yeah, with Jarek, he was another guy in Mobile. Um, And as you're going to see down this list, there's a lot of – and obviously Mobile's always – if they got players, Alabama's going to go get them. In fact, you know, one of their top guys in the 2022 class, uh, Woodyard, is from down there. And they're going to get as many of those guys as they can. So – but as you see, again, when you look at this class, there's a kind of a buckshot feel to it. I mean, you're seeing guys from everywhere, not as star-powered as we're definitely used to. Uh, a lot of these guys, you know, even back then, a lot of these guys didn't draw uh, big praise. But you'll see as we go on through to Brian Bogler, um, to, you know, Ari Kwanjo, as we get to these guys, you can sort of see what they were able to do and then how it paid off down the road. Brian Vogler, you mentioned him. Six seven tight end out of Columbus, Georgia. Remember him vividly as sort of a one-two punch with Mike Williams. Michael Williams at the tight end position for that 2012 team. When you had that 2012 offensive line, you had Vogler, you had Williams at tight end who were essentially extra offensive tackles. They could catch the football well enough, but man, what a run game those guys helped trigger. And you mentioned Ari Quanjo. Uh, coming out of the DMV area, I guess that's about when Alabama started to do some really heavy lifting uh, uh, up there in, in Baltimore, D.C. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got him, obviously. I mean, Ari in his own right was a heck of a football player. We'll talk about his brother Cyrus with the next uh, when, when we do the 2011 class. But Ari was a big deal. I thought he was a good football player. You know, the sexy offensive line positions usually always tackle. Ari was that big guy. I think he wanted to project a tackle. I think he played there some. But to me, Cyrus was the bigger name, you know, that came with that. And obviously, Cyrus is like number two in the country. was a huge deal to get him. It certainly wasn't the case. Alabama's not really big on taking a guy to get another guy. But Ari was good and sort of sort of forgotten and played with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of that. Yeah, a guy who battled some knee issues, as I recall, throughout his career and still managed to spend some time in the National Football League himself. We mentioned Daquan Menzi earlier, a junior college transfer. You know what Daquan's doing these days? Daquan is a state trooper in Mississippi. And having traveled through that state over the weekend, Tim, I'm glad I didn't get a chance to catch up with Daquan in that capacity. I'd like to catch up with him. But I don't think I want to catch up with him on, say, uh, 59 South or anything like that. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. <laughs> he was a good football player, sort of a quiet kid. You know, you know, I think he had to work a little bit harder to get to Alabama than other guys did, you know. So I think it meant more to him. Quite the work, you know. Again, we talk about blue-collar guys and guys that do a lot of work. He was a guy – uh, that a lot of people said about that. Hey, let's be honest. If you're if you got the if you've got the work ethic and everything to go into Mississippi JUCO, because I've said it a million times, we've seen kids go. We just talked about Alfie Hill. We've seen kids enter junior college and never seen them again. Yeah, um, yeah. 
to form a Bermuda Triangle. So this is a guy that had that, you know, had that uh, that little extra in him to push through that and sort, you know, come through that, go to Alabama, graduate, and it's good to hear that he's doing well. Yeah, I keep up with Daquan on Twitter, and if you follow some of his workouts these days, Daquan could still play football for someone. It looks like he is uh, he's not let himself go at all. Jalston Fowler, how about Nudie? Coming out of Viger down there in the Mobile area. Talk about fan favorites and guys that fans ask me about the most during their time at Alabama. Nudie would be right up there at the top of the list. He's my least favorite. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I had a camp in Mobile, and I was standing there, and I I talked to him a lot, knew him, and invited him to the camp. He comes and stands next to me and takes his shirt off. And I said, man, would you get the hell away from me? You make me look <laughs> get away. I mean, he was built like Lou Ferrigno. Adonis. He yeah. took his yeah. shirt off. I said, I literally said, man, get the hell away from me. You're making me look ridiculous. He was rolling laughing, but he rolled that shirt off, and he looked like a professional bodybuilder. And uh, great kid, died laughing, easy to be around. Uh you know, a big kid who probably in the 80s would have been an All-American fullback for somebody. Um, uh, just, you know, just, I mean, again, just a massive, massive human being. His 246 might have been undercutting him a little bit. He might have been a little bit bigger, but that was a muscular. That's one of those guys that's got that belly, but it's all muscle. So definitely a good kid. And, uh, you know, his deal was what to do with him. He was sort of a fullback, and the fullback was sort of going away at the time. Wasn't, you know, quite quick enough to be a linebacker, but a really good kid. Yeah, Nudie was uh, – they, they were smart with with uh, Fowler. They moved him around. He, I mean, he was at Alabama. Think about the running backs that were Alabama when he stepped on campus even. 2010, I mean, you still had Ingram. You still had Richardson. You still had Eddie Lacy. Okay, well, you go into, say, 2011. You still have Trent as clearly the primary option. 2012, here comes TJ Yeldon as a freshman to go along with Eddie Lacy. 2013, you've got a four-back class. It includes Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry. So uh, he was already kind of working uh, uphill where just the depth chart was concerned. But then you looked at his – his size and everything. They did some good stuff with Jalston. And you look at his career rushing numbers, his yards per carry, uh, really good stuff. And went on to play a couple of three or four years in the National Football League uh, as well for Jalston Fowler. Hey, Remo- Go ahead. I mean, when you look, I mean, he reminds me a little bit of LaRon McLean, you know, who's a great fullback. Yeah. He sort of was a throwback player because, I mean, his 240, 250, that was a legitimate size. And that's, you know, that's a massive. That's a massive load at running back. Alabama's had some pretty nice success, I'd say, in the Prattville area in the past. And uh, Roman Harper was certainly one of those guys in the Shula era, maybe towards the end of Fran. And then um, O.J. Howard coming out of that area as a tight end. Uh, and then Nick Perry in this 2010 class. Nick, another safety from Prattville. Uh, similar, I would say, to Jarek Williams in terms of his involvement. On the defensive side of the ball, really a core special teamer as well. Nick Perry's actually been an analyst uh, here at Alabama for the last few years. And as I've seen here in the last few months, he's in the NFL now, Tim, assistant defensive backs coach with the Atlanta Falcons. You know, that didn't surprise me. That's another guy when you talk to, again, blue collar, work pal, lives in the film room, does all that small stuff that you wanted him to do. Really good football player. You know, he wasn't as 
you know, Prattville, you know, back in the time was like a lot like Hoover. And you'd go to their games, and when they ran out, it would it would be very similar without exaggerating. It was similar to being on a college field and having the team run out. Prattville was that big, muscular, thick, athletic group. Hoover was the same way, you know, a few years later. And then now Thompson's another one where you see that that same size of, of guys running out speed and all that kind of stuff. So he was one of the best players on that team. And, uh, you know, went to Alabama, had a good career, you know, probably not a – not as sexy as, uh, you know, what we're used to seeing now with the bigger name guys, not as rated as high, but a really good college football player. We talked about Blake Sims earlier in this two quarterback class, but Blake actually, according to the 24 seven sports composite way of looking at things was an athlete, the number 23 athlete in the 2010 class, according to the 24 seven sports composite rankings. And Blake, was interesting because i mean he bounced you know whether it was running back whether it was safety whether it was skill positions in general uh this is a guy that bounced around and eventually settled in there at quarterback you know going into that 2014 season you were waiting on jake coker to be able to finish up at florida state and come on over from tallahassee and you know blake was the quarterback in the spring of that year didn't have an exceptionally great spring game from a statistical standpoint there was a lot of gnashing of teeth what were they going to do at quarterback lane kiffin whatever you think of lane the job he did with blake sims in 2014 a historic season at the time for a guy that most people had really written off at the quarterback position you know blake was a headache in the recruiting process he was sneaking to tennessee on visits and saying he wasn't And Blake was definitely there. I had people I trusted that had laid eyes on Blake. He was at Tennessee, and it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like there was a don't take visits. Well, we'd say, Blake, were you there? And he's like, no, it wasn't me. You know, he's like that Eddie Murphy Ross kid. It wasn't none of me. And uh, so finally, I had someone take a picture, and it was Blake playing his day. It was Blake Sims. He still said he wasn't there. I believe Lane Kiffin was the coach at Tennessee, ironically enough, who was recruiting him. Um Big time athlete, like like we said. And dude, I tell you, as far as just throwing the deep ball, I don't know if anybody's really did as great of a job as Blake did for Alabama because he would drop back and he would chuck it, and uh, he could throw it. Yeah, he could sling it. You know, as they said, my one of my buddies said he can sling it a country mile. So he was exciting, and that you know that wasn't the national championship year, but that was one of the most exciting teams. Uh, Alabama had offensively before the onslaught of talent offensively that was coming because back then it was just Coop I believe Blake Blake you know bombing to Coop but um, you know later on we got more spoiled with all these all these other guys that came with them but Blake you know like you said didn't he play start I mean did he spend time at safety some wide receiver yeah he was all all over the place yeah bounced everywhere we were worried you know it goes back to he moved so much. Was his career just going to be gone before we realized it? And then he grasped, you know, saw an opening at quarterback, grasped it, took over, and you know, you know, had a great, tr- tremendous year for Alabama. Absolutely, Chad Lindsey, a three-star offensive guard from the Woodlands, and uh, out in the Houston, Texas area. Nice Lindsey, uh, a reserve offensive lineman for Alabama, who eventually ended up transferring to Ohio State. Also had Harrison Jones, Tim. Obviously a legacy, UA legacy. Brothers. Yeah, not a yes. bad player either. Probably 
you know, came in, didn't do a lot at Alabama, but that family, you know, was such an Alabama family. The dad had been a roommate or best friend of Mark Godfrey. A few weeks ago, we discussed the whole Barrett Jones was at Alabama working out at tight end and, and uh, Mark Godfrey called and said, hey, Auburn offered this kid and Alabama hasn't. Alabama went and said, well, hell, we got him at the wrong position, put Barrett at offensive line, ended up signing him, and uh, all three Jones boys ended up at Alabama. Absolutely did. You know, on the 2009 class that we reviewed a week ago, we talked about the three-star success Alabama had with uh, Chance Warmack and Anthony Steen. Well, they did it again a year later, and Austin Shepard took a little time, but you know, by the time 2014 rolled around, especially Austin Shepard was a fixture there at right tackle on that team with Cam Robinson, a true freshman on the left side. And Shepard went on to play a couple of years in the National Football League himself. Yeah, and he's a guy that's really active. You know, what, um, uh, my niece, my wife's niece had a uh, form of cancer. And Austin, just as far as a human being going, you remember it was big for A.J. McCarron and that group. They'd be at the... <laughs> children's hospital all the time and Austin was one that was checking in uh on her to see how she was doing very active you know just I remember him most personally for how he was off the field um you remember AJ used to wear the bracelets for different cancer people or people fighting diseases with his uh the little bracelet around his arm so there was a lot going there off the field but on the field again you're right not a highly recruited guy um came in played you know played at Alabama, had a couple good years, and then went on to the NFL for three, four years uh, total. I don't think he ever really got a lot of playing time. But, you know, in the NFL, three or four years is a lifetime sometimes. So uh, definitely overachieved, and I imagine he's doing really well in life right now. Brandon Ivory, a three-star nose tackle out of Memphis, Tennessee. Kind of felt bad for Brandon because, as I recall, he was issued like Terrence Cody's number right after Terrence Cody left. So everybody's thinking, oh, this is just the next Terrence Cody. And Brandon was a solid player. And by the end of his career, he was actually a starter, I want to say, on those 2013, maybe 2000, maybe it was 2014 teams. Uh, but he was a big guy that uh, wasn't highly regarded. But Alabama got some solid, solid snaps out of Brandon Ivory. And then a couple of Juco uh, route guys, Dion Ballou from Tuscumbia, Alabama, bounced back to UA and was a really nice corner for Alabama in 2012, 2013. I guess Brandon Lewis also uh, in that mix, the uh, defensive tackle. Um, we get into Cade Foster. Boy, you talk about an unfortunate end to a career. Cade Foster, the kicker from South Lake, Texas. We all know the 2011 game against LSU here in Tuscaloosa. The field goal struggles Alabama had in that Overtime loss to the Tigers, Cade with a tough game. I will say this for Cade Foster in that game. It wasn't like they were 27 yarders, okay? Uh, there, there, were, there were some long kicks he was asked to make because that LSU defense, like Alabama's defense in 2011, was the real deal. And so uh, I'd like to add that in there on Cade's behalf. Did have some struggles against Auburn uh, as well, but. Um, Kate Foster, a kicker. How about Wilson Love? You want to talk about legacies? Wilson. When I, looked at, when I looked at this class, I looked at this bottom and thought that a lot of intriguing stories have happened here. You just mentioned Kate. <laughs> Obviously, you got Wilson Love, who's a legacy. You know, Tyler, Tyler Love was there, who's now the strength coach at Ole Miss for Lane Kiffin. You know, we're mm -hmm. going to go down to Caleb Castile, who's also a legacy, the third Castile son to Jeremiah, 
who's now an actor. I'm seeing him in a couple of roles, and I think out he, L.A. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, Kiwan Malone. This guy is a personal favorite of mine, just because from a story standpoint. I was in New Orleans, and after my wife's birthday's beginning of February, signing day's always around that time, so we just lightly do her birthday. But after signing day, we take a trip to New Orleans the next weekend, and uh, uh, I do a speech there for a group and everything else. So it's sort of like her birthday present where I could actually focus on her, and the class was wrapped up. Well, while I was down there, all hell broke loose because Lance Thompson had went to Tennessee he had announced he was putting a fence around Memphis. <laughs> he announced he was putting a fence around Memphis. Nobody else gets out. He's, he was building the wall. Lance and was the building next the wall. day, Nick Saban committed the number one player for Memphis. <laughs> While I was in New Orleans, I was like, son of a bitch. You know, I was supposed to be off today. So <sighs> these stories here, when you look at Caleb, you know, and Caleb, um, you know, with the anytime you've got brothers, the next brother is always the best brother. We had Tim. Wait till you see Simeon. We had Simeon. Wait till you see Caleb. Caleb was never as big. You know, Simeon uh, was that long, rangy, athletic looking, you know, uh, defensive back. Tim changed his body changed so much. He was a wide receiver as a freshman, looked apart, you know, running back, fullback, muscular guy. He was at Thompson for a few years as helping out with the strength coach, I walked into the Alabaster YMCA and he was benching 345 like it was puppy love. I mean, he was popping it off his chest, still a monster. Um, but when I saw that, you know, including Wilson Love, you know, he was always, you know, the second one's always the mean one. Tyler's really nice. Wilson was a little, little, uh, little harder. To Edgier. Shoot. Yes, yeah. he was definitely that guy. When you saw him in high school and, you know, a little bit, Chip, your Tyler's a super nice guy. And then now he's at Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. You tie that, you know, Blake Sims trying to, you know, Lane trying to flip Blake Sims at the time. So a lot of uh, interesting storylines, especially at the bottom of this class. Yeah, Cody Mandel, I think, was actually a walk-on in that class. But he ended up being a very nice bridge sort of between P.J. Fitzgerald and J.K. Scott as the punter at Alabama did a great job handling those punting duties did Cody Mandel. And I think Kiwan Kiwan Malone actually ended up back home at the university of Memphis when it was all said and done. So it is absolutely interesting to always go back and kind of recall the, 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 the items at the time that were certainly of, of great interest and in retrospect, how things played out. I like doing this is because if you, you know, as a fan, if you follow it, you can look at some of these guys you freaked out about not getting who went on to other schools that, they, you know, they had success or they didn't. You can look at some of the guys you were super excited about. One of the things I look at is like sometimes you see the disappointment, like, oh, man, we got this guy. You know, and, and I'll say that there's been commitments. Last year's class, 2021, was full of guys in 2020 that I would say, and I think you remember this. I'd say, hey, before you look at his ranking, watch his film, form your own opinion. The rankings aren't final. But we would see guys where, you know, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, people would see a 4-8 one time from when he was 11 years old and be worried that he couldn't, you know, play football. But um, obviously that guy and other guys, you would see them and you have to say, hey, watch the film and don't worry about the ranking because the ranking's not final. This class and going back through this, you can see a lot of these guys, you know, C.J. Mosley probably didn't get nearly the fanfare he should have, um, you know, at the time or in hindsight. But, you know, that's one of the things I like going back and forth with these. 
Absolutely. That's going to do it for the 2010 Alabama football recruiting class revisit. And with that, Tim, it's time to get into the Bama Online Roundtable Mailbag for T-Watts and TR. And one of the topics we threw to the guys and gals uh, that we will get into, a couple of them, involving Eddie Murphy coming to America, as in coming to the number two America, the sequel to the hit from many, many years ago. I guess, what, 30 years ago or so now? Coming to America dropped. And so Eddie and Arsenio and the whole gang, for the most part, Tim, got back together for this one. Uh, I think it dropped on, what did it drop on? Prime Video? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tim, I wanted to like it. I really did. Because I'm a nostalgic guy like everybody else. I want to feel good. You know, I want to go back in time. I want it to work. I want to... But at the same time, I, I still require it to to be uh, a scripturally smart, you know, at least not, you know, g- give me something, give me something of substance. And I understand it's a sequel, so I'm already, you know, working on a bias that I'm not expecting it to be as good as the original. But Tim, I just, to me, it just, it wasn't much. I don't know about it's, you. Yeah, I mean, it would, it's it's doing it to do it, you know, it's. I don't know what it was. I watched it. I don't, I mean, it's partly a musical. I didn't, I mean, it wasn't really funny. The lead actor, um, his son probably could have did more. They didn't give him, it was felt rushed. I mean, Eddie Murphy's barely in it. Um, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy. I listened to a podcast on Tuesday. He's doing the podcast circuit and all that. And this was on with Mark Marin. Eddie claimed that they spent four years on that script, Tim, four years. They wasted, I, 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 they wasted four I, years. That's like that's that's like some of the guys I know who went to college. You wasted like it was years. the Godfather two or something, you know? No, it's terrible. I mean, it makes the Godfather <laughs> three, Godfather one. If we're talking, oh about. man, there wasn't many funny moments in it. Um, there wasn't very many realistic. It was very non-creative. There wasn't really even a message to it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of hostility. I got Wesley Snipes. I'm expecting some kind of battle. We just high five at the end of the day. It, yeah. I what mean, about it, what they did to poor Gladys Knight? You know, and, and oh. they, they 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 tried to throw so many cameos at you that that would divert your attention from the fact that the movie itself is an absolute train wreck. I mean, that James Earl Jones going away was like, what in the hell? You know, stupid, or, stupid. I, and, I mean, then, and then and then to die now see ya beep i mean come on what that world even james earl jones can't pass away that way so i mean yeah, was we a- don't want to give away too many teasers you know we don't want to give away too many spoilers or anything but i mean you got to mention things like that specifically because maybe we'll keep people from wasting two hours I of their precious it, time if i hadn't watched it and i heard my own review i would still watch it for what it's worth um they but, brought Randy out late to try to save it, you yeah. know, there at the end. Sexual chocolate. They 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 played all the hits. But there was the, the, a lot of music. Now the highlight still was the old barbershop guys, probably the Mike Sharp. It was yeah. good seeing those guys. They're in there talking trash about Connor Gregory, so that was good. I just <laughs> felt like the red there's a lot of musical scenes, a lot of dancing. I still don't know how Eddie Murphy had a son. They didn't really <laughs> I don't know what happened. It I mean, kinda I, was presented that way. And yeah, I thought I mean, she was actually I Eddie. thought she I thought her character was actually one of the top highlights of the whole movie. Absolutely. I thought she was great. Absolutely. To Leslie Jones, I think, from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I thought she was great. 
the New York girl, the the city girl going yeah, over Queens. Real, she was good. I mean, even my boy Tracy Morgan just sort of. He was as good as he could have been, but he was. Yeah, he was a. They didn't do anything with Tracy Morgan. And you know what else? Go ahead. I also I also heard Eddie Murphy say that he wanted to have Tracy Morgan as his son in the movie. Tracy Morgan looks ten years older than Eddie Murphy. How's he going to be your kid in the movie? You know, I mean, this thing was. This was never going to happen. Crowley. Wow, I and, didn't even understand the son. I think they really went with the guy that kind of favored Eddie Murphy. Um, yeah. Guys probably more talented than they let on. I mean, the the, yeah. the lion scene with the kitty cat food. I mean, give me. What the hell? Like, you know? like I said, if nostalgia is your thing and you want to see the old gang and all that again, then that's fine. Uh, but other than that. You know. I had high hopes, but I did. I, and I heard the same thing you did, that they've been working on this. They finally got it to go. Got it right. But it looks just like, let's go on to Eddie's best hits, the Eddie we love. Yeah, we wanted to do that, too. And we also asked in the in the roundtable mailbag for our subscribers' thoughts on that topic. Best, and I guess you could say, and or favorite Eddie Murphy movie of all time. What's your best of Eddie on the silver screen? I mean, look, I'm a huge Eddie Murphy fan. That's the thing. That's probably why I'm upset about this movie is because I have all, all the love for Eddie Murphy. I, this, I, is a guy who was ni- this is a guy who was 19 years old and debuting on Saturday Night Live when Saturday Night Live actually meant something, and when it was hot. And owning right. it. And owning it. And then going sh- at 22, there he is in like 48 hours killing it. You know, so I, I love Eddie Murphy. Yeah. But uh, what do you got as his best? Best fave, Tim. 48 Hours is maybe my best movie ever, and I'll tell you why. I had an older brother who took me to see it. First rated R movie. So I was pretty excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, it's a very religious lady. She, she was uh, totally against the cussing, drinking, smoking, nude girls. Uh, still is, by the way. Pretty mad. I got four kids, I think. No, I'm just kidding. But I go with my brother Gary to see 48 Hours. And I forget my jacket. My mom knows I'm going, and she told me to take a jacket. Well, my mom drives all the members way. Only? Members I, only jacket? Probably, but my mom drives crazy-ass drives from Pelham to Hoover just to make me take a jacket. You know, <laughs> I'm in a movie theater. I'm not in the tundra or anything else, but she walks in. I'm watching 48 Hours, and it's the scene with the girl on the bar with the tassels on her boobs dancing. And she snatches me out, and I have to leave. And I don't see the end of 48 hours for like 15. <laughs> Whenever they admitted the VCR, that thing came out. So I was in my 20s when I actually finally saw the movie. It's as great as I thought. I watched it recently with my older kids. Um, so 48 hours, trading places. I mean, you start out with those two. Um, I loved Eddie, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I love Eddie being from the city and rough and just saying whatever he wanted. <laughs> Um, more than I liked, even though he was good, like Boomerang Eddie. Boomerang Eddie's good, but I liked him better, less sophisticated, because he was funny and he was real. And, uh, you know, when he turned into a pretty boy, and he's really good in Harlem Nights, which is an underrated movie. Uh, he's really good in Boomerang as the smooth, suave guy. But I liked him best when he was just, a, you know, mostly in his younger ages, uh, younger age when he was edgy and, you know, would basically say anything at all. Well, think about what 48 Hours really started in terms of that dynamic of the black and the white guy with Eddie and Nick Nolte. I mean, think about what Danny Glover and Mel Gibson after that. You had these oh, tandems, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even Men in Black. Look at Men in Black. You know, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Will Smith. Isn't that kind of all all coming on the heels of Forty Eight Hours? You've got that older, almost rougher mentor type relationship with a younger, more wild guy. And that's exactly what Eddie Murphy was. And you're right. Mel Gibson was, and Will Smith was, those guys were younger, um, go-getters. It's and a dynamic. Yeah. No, Absolutely. The problem, 48 hours didn't start out as a friendship. I don't know if everybody, <laughs> I recommend no. everybody see that there's some raunchy stuff going on, but it is, it had a very real feel to it, including the scene it starts out where the cop gets killed. It's got a very real vibe, the way it's shot, the cars involved, the people involved are outstanding. It's, I mean, it's kind of a thriller, too. I mean, no, it's it not slapstick soundtrack, yes, comedy. Yes, the soundtrack was good. They had the big guy, mm-hmm. the, the Indian guy who was in Commando. Um, yeah. The bad guys, the characters, the scumbags in this movie look like real scumbags. That's how good yeah. that was. So the bad Hard guys to go against 48 bad. Hours. Yeah, I thought life was great with uh, Eddie and Martin Lawrence. I mean, that was I thought that was a great movie. I thought he was great in it. And I'll tell you here recently, Dolomite is my name. If you haven't seen that biopic that Eddie does of Rudy Ray Moore, the former actor, comedian, essentially came up with the character Dolomite in the 70s. I guess it was Eddie's great in that, too, man. That's a great movie. It's good enough for me that even this coming to America won't dull it, well, I guess, in my eyes. You roll down with Eddie. You roll down with his top movies. We haven't even really talked about uh, Beverly Hills Cop, another very real type movie with criminals and all that stuff that was going on. Um, a young, I mean, how old was that guy? He's probably in his early 20s doing these movies, too, is what made it so yeah. Um, and he And he's transferred sort of well. I mean, he went from that rough, rugged city cop type guy or criminal. And then he went to the smooth, suave guy and all that stuff. But yeah, that's the coming to America. I mean, like I said earlier at the part two, I, uh, I don't regret watching it. It just wasn't, and I should have had lower expectations. Um, you know, that, I think that was me wanting it to be as good. Cause I remembered how much I liked the first one, but Eddie, yeah, Eddie, I mean, quite the best career. things he, Best things he's ever done, Delirious, the special that really introduced him to the world and stand up, it would be at the top. And then Raw was the it was an actual movie. I mean, that was an actual theater release. And so great. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was fantastic. That one. That one. He says he he says he still got one more stand up to her enemy. Thanks. He's hoping to do one more run with the stand up. And I would absolutely love to see that. Jared Burns in the mailbag. He goes Nutty Professor, Boomerang, and Coming to America, the first one, of course, for Eddie Murphy. And uh, as we kind of ran down, I mean, there are plenty of options between the voice work he did in Shrek, his donkey, and uh, you know all this other stuff. It's uh, yeah, He's pretty versatile, and I agree. Nutty Professor, prolific. he is good in Nutty Professor. I think I like funny Eddie more than I like smooth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even in yeah. Harlem Heights, which I, I do love. I mean, you're talking about bringing out the classics. They roll out. A half-blind red fox calling dice. I mean, Richard Pryor, that's a great movie. For him to take that time being such a big star to sort of take that ensemble, you know, a lot less ego there, just, you know, that big picture stuff. But, yeah, Nutty Professor, that's a pretty versatile role. He plays several characters, so. Bama man for JC. He wants to switch topics a little bit. There was a thread on the roundtable. I think it was Crimson 71 that got it going there. 
following a thread earlier in the week, what's the best restaurant steak you've ever had, Tim? Best we, restaurant steak. We went to Vegas. Me and Heather went to Vegas with my uh, buddy Alan and his wife, and we ate at the Win at SW Steakhouse at the Win in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the best I had. Um, it was amazing the setup, the dessert, just the whole thing was good. I mean, I probably don't love steak as much as other guys. I know that's a manly thing. We had a really good uh, steak in New Orleans in the French Quarter too. Drawing a blank on the name of it. That's probably the two best. I think it was called Doris. It's right over there by mm-hmm. uh, right over there by the square um, by Jackson Square. So that's probably the two best that I've had that, you know, the, the one in New Orleans had the marble and they had it sitting up in the window and they gave its date of birth. You know, it's been marbling for 140. See, yeah. They had, this right. is it's, this is its parents. Here's yeah, its birth it's, certificate. Had, yeah. His lineage and his ancestor. <laughs> um, it was good. It was good. Both of them. The Southwest was good. The SW was good to me, the steakhouse, because it had, you know, we're in Vegas, you know, I'm, I'm actually wearing long pants, no cargo at the time, probably. And uh, the dessert and everything. No cargo, no cargo, Tim. Come on. I mean, it's. I mean, I only wear pants for my wife for the most. That's part. like that's like Jordan brand for you. That's like yeah. Mike not wearing Jordan brand. Absolutely. People make fun. You're not of wearing them. cargo. I know people that make fun of them envy them. I also know that if they need something, you like the pockets. That's right. It, if they if they forgot something at home, it's in my pants. So it's in my pockets. It's in my the cargo. people who make fun of cargo pants and shorts, they're the same people that have like 175 keys on a thing clipped to their belt <laughs> buckle. You know, that's the same people that do that. I was, I was hey. a like that. <laughs> a bottle opener, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's your um, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Spark Steakhouse in New York City simply because Polly Castellano, a mob boss, was gunned down right there on the front curb. So that's an automatic. Letter grade elevation. Yeah. If yeah. if you have had an actual mob boss whacked Absolutely. right out front of your joint, then I'm gonna probably go with you. I don't think Spark Steakhouse is the best steakhouse I've been to overall in terms of just food, but I mean I can't top that with Paulie Castellano taking it right I, out I, front. I, so. Go back to New York City. I'm googling it now. We will absolutely have to. Have to try. You got to do it if you're into that. Go go there and right oh, out absolutely. front, man. That's where that's Paulie a, got that, it. That's half, yeah. That's half the uh, fun of New York City is the restaurants. Yeah, that's history. To, it has to be, yeah, absolutely. Um, DP Art. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was gonna say the absolute well, the, best steak you had though. Where's that at? My house. It kills me because I go to these steak houses and it's <laughs> fifty plus bucks for a bone-in rib or a bone-in fillet, and look, they're good. But if you're able to cook at home on something like an egg or you've got a, a grill or something that you can get up in excess of 600 degrees, you're going to cook something at home just as good, if not better. And for a quarter of the price is what you're going to pay at some of these steakhouses. I like Fleming's. Um, they've got one over at the Summit there in Birmingham. I, I think they do a really good steak. They're dependable. But, um, yeah, I, that that would that would probably be I can I can just cook a, a bone in ribeye for for a quarter of the price and it'd be just as good as anywhere else. I'm gonna get. My wife does a really good steak and you're right about You know then. I've been there a few yeah. times. They have one in Nashville. So when we're yeah, up they do. And I'm visiting mm-hmm. our former CEO, Shannon Terry's a buddy of mine, so we'll go up there with him and Andy and they'll go there. And uh, right there at I, Vanderbilt. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. And then not only that, their size, they'll pass around. Like, I didn't know. I, I mean, I don't. I do not think I like Brussels sprouts, but I ate a ton of them one night there. They were mm-hmm. really good. I don't know what was in the, the Brussels sprouts. DPRTR wants to know your prediction for which team Alabama football will hurt the most in 2022 recruiting for DP. It's not enough just to keep rolling and recruiting. He wants to hurt somebody, Tim, who is Alabama going to hurt? You know, I think, you know, when you look, it's going to probably be Auburn because Auburn really, you know, they're, you know, when you're a new staff, you know, we went back, we discussed this with Nick Saban in 2009, when he got to Alabama, even when he got there and partly for 2008, what did he focus on? He focused on in-state. And, you know, you look at that 09 group with Julio Jones and Mobile and Birmingham and everything, and even the ones he flipped in 08 were who? They're in-state guys. They were getting um, – they were getting uh, – uh, what's his name at Hoover? The nose guard, Josh Chapman. They got – you know, they got three or four guys, Chavis, right out of the gate, um, flipped those guys from in-state. Then 09, they focused in-state. Well, Auburn, usually when you're a new staff – you want to get in your own state. And another one they're going to hurt is Tennessee, because when you look, Tennessee has perhaps the best in-state group they've had. I, I don't think I've ever seen. Ty Simpson already. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think I've seen a better in-state group for Tennessee. So you're looking over there at two new coaching staffs, Auburn and Tennessee, uh, weird coaching searches. You know, they got, you know, the, you know, obviously Auburn went out West to get a guy, and uh, Tennessee, you know, ended up getting a Central Florida guy. But it was after a few others turned him down. And they're looking at some kind of NCAA investigation. So you already got Ty Simpson. And you see Ty Simpson tweeting at Walter Nolan, who's uh, in the state of Tennessee. He's maybe the top player in the country. He's definitely top five right now overall. So you got them tweeting each other's. And Hank South interviewed Walter and he's like, yeah, Ty Simpson's my guy. That's my that's my guy. I'm the closest to. So Tennessee and Auburn potentially, Alabama has a chance to set them back if they can't if you can't get players in your own state. Um, you know that's a problem. And obviously, if they start out with Woodyard, Woodyard, they get Emmanuel Henderson. They've got two of the top four players in the state. So there's other guys they're going to work. So definitely, Auburn and Tennessee could be in some trouble. As we get out of here, Ghost of Bryant would love to hear each of our all-time favorite BOL threads. Which ones made you either laugh out loud or just shake your head in disbelief? Tim, I got to (laughs) say the Tua struggling with the language barrier thread from a couple of years ago. Uh, coming from Hawaii, of course, with the language issues, as we know, that are very much a problem for those folks. Uh, of course, I'm just kidding. But that one would be right there near the top of the list for me. And really, any of the disbelief ones, if you jump into enough game threads oh, on Lord. BOL, you'll see more than a few that uh, kind of leave you shaking your head. What do you got, Tim? I will shake my head at any game thread because if they give up the first and the first guy to go, here we go. Fire! Here we Fire! go. It's like you enter Fire the analyst. Yeah. <laughs> the game going, we're not giving up any first. We never give up first. What's going on? Saban's um, lost it. Yeah. Really. And I hate to encourage these, my, these uh, chokers on the round table because the ones that listen will definitely do it. But now they'll I'm bring it harder. Somebody will say like one time there was a whole thread. <laughs> where four or five of the guys were acting like I had a private PM message 
uh, thread where I was giving them inside scoop that I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you would put that on the site. Board, and I had a hundred people leaving their email to get in this <laughs> this thread because Melvin and Melvin Seahorse and some of the other jokers started saying, "Hey, Tim sent me that in a private email in this private thread we've got." And then other oh, posters jumped in and thought it was real. Like, how do I get to it? And I was like, when I caught it, it was it was three or four pages long. And I was thinking, literally, I wouldn't have a. I mean, this is this is my private thread is BOL. So that one always makes me laugh. And uh, you know, we got a few guys that like to troll on there, but um, who can do some serious convincing of stuff. Oh, yeah. But it's it's just random stuff, you know, that those guys do. That board keeps it entertaining. But yeah, the they do. S- the SMH, and I will say the SMH, and usually starts for me too, shaking my head, is if Alabama doesn't get a player, that's when it's – you know, you saw that with Sage Ryan last year. Oh, gosh, can't – Pete can't recruit. You can't get anybody in Louisiana. You know, it's last March. I mean, a year ago, there was a lot of people, not a lot percentage-wise, but too many people saying Alabama was done at this time. And – um I mean, you saw it on the, the message board, and it was, it was. There's a panic that sets in with some, and I think it just comes down to personality. You know, you got your half. You know, you got guys that are half full, glasses are half full, guys that glasses are half empty, and then you got the guys that think they didn't get a glass. Everybody's got a glass, but them. Those guys are <laughs> that the sky is always falling. You know. Oh. Uh, Mr. Well. Pro, you know, over one for the free throw line. Here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One and, on and out. Yeah, haven't made a free throw since Ot six. So all well, good. Uh, fun. All good. Yeah, it's all fun. That's going to do it, by the way, for the latest edition of T Watts and TR here on the Bama Online podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? Leave us a five star rating if you don't mind. A review as well would be exceptionally helpful. Tim, it's been a lot of fun, man. It has. This has been a wild one. So look forward to it next week. Absolutely. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here for T Watts and TR on the Bama Online Podcast. We'll talk to you again real soon.